Welcome to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Heyman, a collaborative podcast with Pass It On Network. This program is brought to you by all of Community Services. Seniors deserve to have a fulfilling life with dignity and respect, but as we transition into our elderhood years, this doesn't always happen. Join us today as we discuss some of the most important issues that seniors face and provide much-needed answers to your questions. Now, here is Phyllis Amon. Welcome to Senior Straight Talk, presenting informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. I'm Phyllis Amon, your host. The library of all of the show episodes, beginning from September 2019, can be found on the Voice America Empowerment Channel under the name Senior Straight Talk and can also be found on popular podcast platforms. The show is also syndicated on the Voice America Influencers channel. So I invite you to like, click, and share the episodes. Family members considering taking on the role of caregiver or those just beginning the caregiver journey can find valuable information in my course, A Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving the Basics. You will be able to find information on the course once you click on the link for the free book offer on the Senior Straight Talk host page. And you can also find information on the homepage of my, of my website, www.phyllisamonassociates.com by clicking the link freeagingparentbook.com. Once you grab the free copy of Dignity and Respect, you'll find, find information on the Caregiver's Guide to Caregiving course and the valuable free bonuses that go along with it. My latest book chapter in WTF to OMG with a little LOL, Unpacking Life's Hidden Lessons, was released July 19th and became a number one Wall Street Journal and USA Today bestseller. It features my story about personal responsibility and self-care that led me to the work I do today. I'm honored to be a featured co-author alongside now three-time Wall Street Journal bestselling author David Corbin and many others. The book is available on Amazon. And my previous book chapter, released May 17th in Think Big, is also available on Amazon. And it's my story, my big vision about my projects aimed at older adults and the value they have in our lives and in society. I'm honored to be included in this book alongside the iconic and legendary Brian Tracy, entrepreneur Bob Bodine, and many others. The book is published by Kyle Wilson, president of Jim Rohn International. So I hope you'll grab a copy of these books on Amazon. The many stories included in both books can inspire and motivate you in your business and positively impact your own personal development and growth. September is Healthy Aging Month. As the ambassador for Conscious Aging Life Management, I will help you develop your personalized longevity plan so you can continue to age as healthfully and gracefully as you possibly can. Please email me at phyllis at phyllisamonassociates.com for more information. The place to begin is within, and the time to begin is now. Senior Straight Talk is proud of the collaborative partnership with the Pass It On Network, a global peer learning network for positive aging advocates and a member of the United Nations Open-Ended Working Group on Aging. Senior Straight Talk and the Pass It On Network continue bringing listeners informative conversations for the senior years of our lives. And now I'd like to introduce today's guest, who I met through a mutual friend just a few weeks ago. She teaches that the art and science of being your very best self, your most confident, capable, and charismatic self, Indeed, how we show up tells others how we see ourselves, how to receive us, and how to reward us. She loves helping others feel and be their best self from the boardroom to the beach. So I am thrilled to have Lauren Solomon as a guest on Senior Straight Talk during Healthy Aging Month. So Lauren, thanks so much for being here with me today. I am so excited reading all of your, your bio, um, I only gave a brief description in the intro, but um, I really am a designer and a, and a, um, um, a um, fashion stylist wannabe, I'll say. So 
you are just like the world to me. I, I, people say I missed my calling, but they've said that to me about a few things. So I really want to talk about, you know, what you bring to that space and what that brings to people. September is Healthy Aging Month. And I think this is so important for people as they, um, you know, because self-esteem is an issue um, as people get older for a variety of reasons. And um, self-esteem has a lot to do with how you present yourself to other people and how people perceive you. And so I think this is, it couldn't be more timely. So thanks so much for agreeing to be here today. Oh, it's my pleasure. And of course, we're talking about the the one topic that is nearest and dearest to my heart. So there is no there is no question off limits when it comes to this. And yes, I agree. How we show up tells the world three things. It tells the world how we see ourselves, how we want to be received, and how we want to be rewarded. And in all of those aspects, it doesn't have to be cash money. I mean, how I see myself starts from deep inside. So even as a child, as I'm aging, it depends how I choose to see myself. Do I still see myself as that little girl? Do I still see myself as, um, you know, my mother's hope for the future? (laughs) Myself as my brother's older sister who, you know, we would go, we would go at it. You know, who who am I in my head and in my heart and soul? Because that's who I'm going to bring to the party. Am I my am I my professional self? Am I what my friends call the kinder, gentler Lauren Solomon, the one who moved from New York City to Southern California and kind of adopted a uh, a more Californian oh, yeah, persona, right? Which is definitely a more gentler persona. Well, it's a theory, right? But it it's all in us. It's just a question of what do we expose and when. And what's appropriate at what time? So as we're aging, that's a question that we often stop asking. Who am I and who do I want to be? Because we think we've gotten there. (laughs) Not only that, I agree, but I think there's another element to it, which is as people age and maybe have different roles in their lives. So maybe they've left a profession or a job, whichever that is. Uh, maybe, you know, they've had children and, and now they're, they're not caring for those children or their children live further away. You know, that, that, that re, you know, that relatedness of who I was in those, those situations and who I am now. And sometimes, and I was originally going to think, especially women, but men too, because if they get to that point where they've retired, they no longer have maybe the, that, position as the patriarch, the, the breadwinner of the family, you know, that has to do with their self-esteem also. So I don't want people to think it's only about women. Um, but, you know, when you talk about aging and uh, getting older, so I wrote a blog the other day and um, I said, so I'm 69, I'll be 70 in a few months. And um, I see myself as an old, I know I'm an older person, but who defines what old is, right? So that's something that we have to define for ourselves. And I think um, empower ourselves by taking that back, by defining it for ourselves. So this couldn't be more perfect in my opinion. And it, so we all go through these transitions if we're lucky, right? We have to live long enough to actually go through these transitions. And you know a little bit more of my story, but I, I did move from New York City. I lived in California for 10 years. And then on the eve of COVID, I was working in Salt Lake City and got a call from my brother who lives in Chevy Chase, Maryland. He and my sister-in-law are both doctors. And they said, the kids have been sent home from school. So kids are home alone. Mom and dad who are in their 80s are no longer plan B. Welcome to COVID. What's on your calendar? <laughs> What's yeah. in your wallet, right? <laughs> exactly. So you got to have a sense of humor about this stuff. I use, I traveled with my dog. So she. I looked at the dog and I'm like, what's on our calendar? You know? <laughs> Called the airline, said, can you reroute us? And we literally never went home. We, wow. left, we left our home on March 8th, 2020. And on March 17th, we flew from Salt Lake City to Washington, D.C. 
and we never went back. We moved into my brother's guest room where we lived for a year. Uh, we taught, we homeschooled the kids. I'm saying we, the dog and I, right? <laughs> so I homeschooled the kids. We would cook and deliver food, cook for and deliver food to my parents to keep them safe in their space, which was about uh, 15 minutes away. And and I had three dogs. So I, I always say I had a big house, three crazy dogs, two small children, and two octogenarians under care within the flip of a switch. Wow. And so again, when I when I talk about transition, I know a little bit of what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. So talk about pivoting. That is the ultimate pivot. Um, and you know, your family is very lucky that you not only were able to do that, but you had the wherewithal, the desire, the instinct to say, okay, I'm here for you. And, and, and like I said, they're, they're very lucky to have you because how many families don't have that, right? Well, and how many families don't have the flexibility? I work for myself. I've always known I could, my goal was to be able to live and work from anywhere. Ultimately, my brother's guest room was not on my list. Right. But, but because I could do it, I, I believe anyone who could would. And that's that's just my my foundational belief about all things. When it comes to my family, we do we do for each other what we can. And and I didn't think at the time that I wouldn't be going back to California. I didn't really think about it. I figured, OK, this will go on for a couple of months and then we'll go back to normal. Well, oops. And so a year later, we were still in my brother's guest room and and realized, though, that my parents needed more help than my brother and sister-in-law could provide with the kids growing up and needing them more and more. And, you know, it's just everybody in their different stage of life. And I am that sandwich. I, they're not my children, but I am the third parent in that family. And that's a blessing. The fact that they they welcome me that way. And it's been that way since the children were born. I would drop in for weeks at a time to, I, they used to call me parachute auntie. So I would <laughs> drop in for a week. So my sister, my sister-in-law and brother could take a vacation or I would drop in for birthdays and anniversaries. And because in my world, I travel and, and again, I have computer will work wherever. So the beauty was, that I could do these things. And the ultimate beauty was that I could, I could help everyone in their own stage and myself, you know, it's not that they didn't help me. Right. I didn't want it. Once we realized what was happening, I wouldn't have wanted to be isolated alone in Southern California, even with wonderful friends and, and my whole deep circle, um, it would not have been the same. And it gave my life a very distinct purpose through that time. And ultimately within the year realized that I wasn't going back. And again, never went back by the good graces of my friends. They would go into my apartment uh, for a day at a time. We would FaceTime while they would purge a room for me. And we, oh up, we wound up donating an entire apartment's worth of things to a refugee family, which felt so good. And then I hired a mover and they packed everything else up, brought it here. I found an apartment in the building where my parents live, because at the time my mother was having a bout of falling. Right. And that was, I mean, we had 911 on speed dial and that was bad. So I wanted to be able to get to them without having to go outside. And unlike California, Maryland has weather. So I can't, <laughs> can't just run out barefoot. Weather patterns, I'll say, right? <laughs> Very weather patterns. Exactly. So moving in here, a floor above them. Now the dog, so they're Glamon Zippy in our family. And so the dog goes to Glamon Zippy daycare. They adore her, love having her. I love them having another heartbeat in the house, someone else to talk to besides themselves. And now that we're getting back to life and my mother has lost 70 pounds mm -hmm. and she is more mobile and she's regained cognition. I mean, COVID was not friendly to a lot of people. Absolutely. And actually, something just came out the other day about how 
the world has been in a depression. And um, there are uh, now there's research going on about how people, especially over the age of 65, should be tested for anxiety and depression, especially as a result of this whole COVID experience. But I just want to get back to something you said um, that goes to really healthy aging, which you said that your mother lost, you know, an, a sizable number of pounds, and now she's more agile and mobile, right? right. And um, that would be part of a healthy aging discussion, even though that might not have been the what she set out to do. It might have been partially the result of maybe eating differently because you were preparing different meals, um, or maybe because she didn't have access to buying the other things that people tend to buy when they are roaming around grocery stores and they're filling other needs, right? right. And so I think it's very appropriate to have that conversation also about how that impacted her overall health and well-being, her mobility, and and probably how she feels about herself now that she can move around better. So do you want to talk about that a little? I'd be happy to. So my father, just for your listeners, my father just turned 90 oh. in, in August, and my mother will turn 85 in November. And my father goes to the gym four days a week. My father gets up every morning, gets showered and dressed and looks for things to do. My brother creates activities for my father. I mean, just so you get the personalities. My mother, her happy day is to wake up at 11, have brunch, read the paper, catch up on the news. At four o'clock, she'll take a shower, put on clean pajamas, have happy hour with my dad, and uh, go back to the news and then they have dinner and then they watch a movie and that's her happiest day. If she, she is not the one looking for things to do, so you have to create things for her to do. But if she has somewhere to go and an appointment in her book, she will get up and, and do it. So just two different personality types and the weight gain, we didn't realize, I mean, COVID, yes, the immobility and the lack of motivation, definitely a quick 20 pounds on top of what was already happening. Um, but what we discovered amidst COVID was that she did have a, um, she she's always had a very severe hiatus hernia since, since in her 20s. And nobody would touch it because the technology wasn't there to guarantee success. And you would have to watch it. But over time, it got worse and worse. And then we discovered um, a twist, which could become necrotic. And then, of course, that could be she could as a result of that could have become septic. And that was all discovered by accident at literally it wasn't why we were at the doctor. We were at the doctor for a standard checkup and the doctor pressed one spot and she said, "Ooh, that's sensitive. Sent her for a scan. And that's how we discovered the twist that had evolved. It didn't, it wasn't always there. I say that because it was sometimes we, we laugh at how, as we age, we spend more and more time at the doctor's office. Like we, we spend our days going to doctor's appointments or it feels that way, or we resist going to doctor's appointments. And I want to encourage everyone get checked regularly. Whether <laughs> you think you have something going on or not, that annual checkup is no joke. So and it's interesting. I have to interject. It's interesting that you say that because you could actually be talking to me um, <laughs> because I am terrible at this. Um, and um, because I worked in long-term care for so many years around so many doctors, many of whom would not be the person that I would consider the best doctor, okay? Because that's a specific skill set working in long-term care. Sure. Um, so I, I kind of have a little bit of an aversion <laughs> to going to doctors. And I can't, um, I really shouldn't say this, but I, I haven't gone to the doctor. Now, if I say I'm going to the doctor, then you know there's really something. Um, and there have been a few times here and there said, gee, you know, I probably should go have this checked out. And then I haven't because it's resolved. And um, but what you're saying is is so important. And um, 
I think I'm going to heed your words and I hope you will. I hope you will. I wasn't directing it specifically. I know you weren't, but but, um, it's not the first time I've heard that. And who needs to hear it? And a lot of times the things I say, I need to hear as well. (laughs) We all do, right? But I will say that this discovery sent us to the right doctor, the best doctor in this case. And he just happens to be a few miles down the road. That was, again... Uh, not not part of our plan, but he had her scheduled for surgery to fix this because now the technology can fix it. Right. On a, on a last minute, let's call it an intuitive hit, he ran one more test and he called us up that night and said, I'm going to say something you will never hear a surgeon say. No surgery for you. Wow. Said, I cannot guarantee success because of these things. And if you go shopping for another doctor to do it, somebody will do it. And here is what will happen. He said, you will end up with a feeding tube. Oh, my goodness. And you will not be able to live the life that we intend for you to live. So please do not go shopping and we will work through how to live with this and manage it. And I say that because so many of us are looking for the magic pill or counting on the surgery to fix something. Correct. And in the end, we have to fix it ourselves and we can. For many things. I, I won't say for all things. Not all things. But for many things. We need to look inside ourselves, um, not only by ourselves, but, you know, with the help of somebody else very often. And that's where this um, my conscious aging life management comes into play, because that's why I really went down that path, because because I've seen so much at the other end of it, over 40,000 hours working in long term care with thousands of people, I see how much we can do for ourselves. And a lot of it is is diet and lifestyle. Absolutely. And if we're willing to look at that. So I, of course, immediately started reading all the books. I mean, I've been through my own health issues that required major lifestyle changes over the years. But for my mother, different story, right? I am now doing a PhD (laughs) in senior wellness or in her particular situation. And so it was it was really about ultimately you can eat whatever you want, but it has to be very small portions. You must drink after each bite. Your your digestive tract is not doing what it's supposed to do. So you have to help it along. Mm. And over the course of months, we simply gave her smaller meals. We also learned certain foods that were big fat no's things that she could not digest. It would create, you know, a volcano in her system. But again, it was trial and error. It was months of dedication. So if my first year of COVID was dedicated to homeschooling the kids and managing the rowdy pack of dogs, my second year was dedicated to getting my mother back to health. So that's phenomenal. And I want to take a short break um, at this juncture, but there's something that you said um, which I, I want to ask you about, although it's a little off the beaten track, which is that she had to take uh, smaller bites, take a sip after each bite. So I, I want to ask you about that because that kind of falls into my wheelhouse as a speech and language pathologist who works with people on swallowing and eating issues and coaching people through this. So we're going to take a short break on Senior Straight Talk and we'll be right back and I'll ask you more about that. Phyllis Amon, owner of Phyllis Amon Associates, provides strategic solutions to families seeking care for their loved ones and coaches them to become more effective advocates. Her expertise comes from working in over 45 nursing homes. Phyllis, known for her passion, empathy, high quality care standards, and quality life for older adults, is an experienced educator, speaker, and trainer. She's bridged the gap from healthcare to public and private sector businesses on topics from communication, caregiving, empathy, and novel approaches to team building and leadership. 
As we continue on life's journey, there are certain situations which we all must face. Care and treatment don't always measure up to what it's supposed to be, and there are many questions that need to be answered. Tune in to Senior Straight Talk with host Phyllis Amon. Seniors deserve to have a purposeful and passionate, fulfilling life, and we'll bring you the information that you need to hear to make it happen. Listen on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platform. You are tuned in to Senior Straight Talk with Phyllis Amon. If you'd like to leave us a question or comment about our program, please feel free to email the host at phyllis at seniorstraighttalk.com. Now back to Senior Straight Talk. So Lauren, uh, right before we went to break, uh, you were mentioning about how your mother had to change the way she ate because of this physical uh, situation that she had. And uh, why I'm curious about that is because we all do things by habit. You know, and some things, and a lot of things we do unconsciously by habit, like how we eat, you know, some of our habits, well, most habits are unconscious, right? They're automatic at some point. But um, even how we get up in the morning, we don't think we have to brush our teeth or, or the procedure that we use, we do it the same way. But as a speech and language pathologist, whose specialty, one of my specialties is working with people on eating and swallowing and strategies, uh, that's not something that's easily changed. It takes a lot of time and work. So no different than establishing habits for a healthier lifestyle. Um, it could come down to the smallest thing like changing the way you eat. So can you talk a little bit about what went into that? Because taking smaller bites, I know this because I've worked with people, especially with respiratory issues, and um, having to take a sip after each bite is something that takes a lot of practice and training. It's not just something that you do. No, it's not. So it started with, and I I will share that, that the the reason this was necessary is because we learned that her uh, the mo- her esophagus had no motility, so it was not pushing the food down like it was supposed to, right. and, and so all of her digestion was dependent on gravity, right. and because she had all the extra weight on her, the gravity was constantly challenged. The hiatus hernia left a very very small opening for anything to go down. It had to be liquefied. It had to be small quantities. And there were a couple of things that I can point to very specifically. Uh, Number one, the minute she wakes up in the morning, there are eight ounces of water right next to her bed. The first thing she has to do is drink. Hmm. Can I stop you there? Yeah. Okay. Um, So it's best in the morning to drink after you brush your teeth. She's already been up. Okay. I just wanted to say, and I'll just say the reason for that is because I know people who tell me they drink as soon as they get up. And I say, you don't want to really wash all that bacteria into your system. It can be very dangerous. So, uh, right. And I agree. So it's, it's all written. So the rinsing process, which is interesting because I also practice this myself, the rinsing process for her takes place when she goes to the bathroom around six 30. Okay. <laughs> so she, you, you, and again, it's, it's an observation of what do you do normally? What do you okay. do already? And then what needs to change? So yes, she had never really thought about what she does right. in the process of that early bathroom visit, but then she goes back to sleep. And when she wakes up for real, for real, that's when, when she starts. And so she's already had one rinse. So you're right. The, the night's bacteria are already are gone. Um, and and then we started to look at what can she eat comfortably. And, and again, next to her, everywhere she goes, we had water bottles with straws everywhere because she needed taking a gulp was not going to help. It needed to go in by straw. It needed to be small sips. Mm-hmm. small sips. And of course, in the beginning, it was all hands on, on the meals. We were all right. there, my dad and I and my mom. And she would take a bite and we would say, please take a drink. She would take a bite. 
please take a drink. And also being careful not to talk oh. while you're eating. Right. Listen, you're saying all the things that are part of my program when I work with people, right? And the other thing is, um, the other thing is about um, even if you're taking small, smaller bites, and I'm sure you you know this and, and talked about this, is chewing properly because digestion actually begins in your mouth because the saliva breaks down the food, right? So especially if you're having motility issues and a narrower esophagus, you want to make sure that the food is chewed sufficiently so they're not large, you know, lumps or large amounts that you're going to be swallowing. Right. And in the beginning, it was all very soft food. I mean, it was practically smoothies in the, in the very beginning uh, because that was when she was most inflamed and crisis. And that's how we learned about it. Uh, So very little, actually no raw. So salads, you know, vegetables, everything had to be cooked almost within an inch of its life. So that's okay. I, you know, again, I was working with it. We were liquefying things to keep nutrition, but then also she needed a flavor palette that was healing because you can't do everything by smoothie and feel satisfied. Correct. And so if she felt deprived, she would want things that, that really were not supporting her. So, and again, this was just the beginning. We worked with the gastroenterologist. We worked with with the surgeon and I was reading voraciously. My dad is doing the cooking for the most part. I'm teaching him how, you know, he's, my dad used to work 80 hours a week. He was not the one responsible except for Sunday French toast. There was very little that he ever did in the kitchen. And now my mother hasn't, basically we're not sure she knows the way to the kitchen anymore. So, um, so again, just lifestyle changes and, and what, what was she willing to do? She was not someone who was ever very thirsty. She's not a water drinker by nature. She likes her tea, not the best thing. Even if it's, even if it's decaf, it's acidic. We needed to reduce acid. We needed to bring in a lot more balance into the the food itself and just get through the first six months really so that we could reduce the inflammation and see what we could do and over time over time we figured it out cinnamon chocolate uh nutmeg that whole family of seeds not good for her right so interesting i just want to say uh make a comment about something you just said where which was that she never really uh, drank a lot of water So I started something today called Wellness Wednesdays. And my video today was about hydration because that's something that's very important to me. And I, you know, I'm seeing the effects of dehydration. Most people are dehydrated. Certainly people in long-term care usually don't get adequate hydration. And it's, uh, you know, the root cause of a lot of things, confusion, delirium, falls. Interesting that you said she was falling a lot. you know, high blood pressure. I I mean, a variety of of situations that go along with dehydration. So I I think it's interesting that you said that because just today, my first wellness Wednesday was about hydration. And you're absolutely right. And that was something that I never realized because I drink a lot between 80 and 100 ounces of water a day that I learned when I had my own crisis 10 years ago. So it it struck me how little she would naturally drink and how unnatural it was for her to constantly reach for the water. So again, someone had to be there to say, please drink, please right. drink. And then, of course, she would bite back and say, stop, stop badgering me. Right. Um, we're not badgering you. We're trying to keep you alive. So if you could just work with us. So it's interesting. I, I, I'm sorry. I just jumping in because this is so much of what I talk about, which is, yes, there's a tendency for people to become defensive. I mean, over the years, I've had people say, don't tell me how to eat. I've been eating my entire life. You know, I've heard all kinds of variations of that. Um, and I told people exactly what you just said which is, listen, we're trying to work with you to make sure that you remain healthy, that you stay with us. We're a team. We care about you. Just those very same words. So, I mean, you and I hadn't discussed this before. So it's just so interesting to me that it's just 
the conversation is evolving in this way. I think the the topic is in the ether, right? More of us, more of us are aging, and we come from a generation that wants to age well and wants to live well because we've been living well. And why should we live less well just because there are bigger numbers behind our our dates, right? right. So I like you and where you started the conversation was I don't feel older. I look at myself and say where did that white hair come from? And so I know I've lived long enough for that to happen, but truthfully, I started going white in my 20s. So it could have been like this for forever, but the reality is there are, you know, different things showing up in the mirror every day. And so just recognizing that and on the other hand saying, but I I don't feel different and I don't want to feel different. How do I sustain this good feeling as long as I possibly can? And my mother comes from a very different generation. She comes from a generation of you retire at 65 and then you're free to do something or nothing. You know, in her mind, she worked her 50 years and then she's free to do nothing if that's what she chooses to do. And that's okay for some people. I mean, nobody says that they have to do something, whatever that something is. And that's absolutely true. It's an individual choice. But the thing you don't get to choose is to become a burden. I agree. You don't. That is not a choice you get to make. Things can happen and we can become a burden involuntarily. There are so... There are so many things that can happen, but if you have the opportunity to control the quality of your life going forward, I don't care if you do nothing, but feel good while you're doing nothing. I agree with you 100%. And because if you do nothing about maintaining your well-being, and maybe you do have to change some habits or do some things differently then basically you're surrendering and then you're really just saying, well, whatever happens to me happens to me. I don't, people are not consciously doing that, but that is the end result of that. And then when something happens, they say, well, why did this happen to me? I'm not saying that you could, you could make all the best choices. And we know people who have made the best choices and then things happen to them. They befall them for whatever reason, environment, situations, DNA, it could be a variety of things, but why not give yourself the best shot by doing the best you can? I say, you know, the place to begin is within and the time to begin is now. It's just like the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago, but the next best time to plant is right now. It doesn't matter if you've not made those choices for the last 60 years, but you can start to make different choices now. Yes. And like you, you say, don't, you know, don't tell me how to eat. I've been eating all my life. You know, in my professional world, it's don't tell me how to dress. I've been dressing myself since I was three. (laughs) But at the same time, a deeper understanding of how we show up in all these ways is what ties us to what we're creating into the future. And I really do believe that we can't control everything. So we must control what we can. I agree with you 150%. And of course, we all, most people probably know the adage, you can't get a second chance to make a first impression. Um, And and maybe sometimes you can, but for all intensive purposes, you can't. And, um, you know, if people think of themselves, getting back to this word old, think of themselves that way, have that mindset, which some of is internalized from a society that defines that for us, right? Um, And you make choices that make yourself look that way, then people will continue to perceive yourself, to perceive you that way. You know, there's a, um, a program in schools. I'm not a fan of this program. I guess I understand where it came from, but I, I'm not a fan of it for, a particular reason, because I think it, it it perpetuates a stereotype. And it's the 100th day of school, and it's like dressed like a 100-year-old person. Really? I even use the word old. Yeah, I don't use the word old, but that's what the day is. And um, so what what is that? How does a person who's 100 years of age dress? So isn't that kind of reinforcing that stereotype? I mean, I, 
I just, I, I, I'm really not, in fa- I understand where it came from, but I think it misses the mark. What yeah. do you think about that? I think it, it could very well be rephrased right. to say, dress like someone who lived a hundred years ago right. would, would have more value if you wanted to look back on the history. But my mother's 85, her brother's 96. And they dress like they dressed in their forties. I mean, they're stylish people. They're, you know, and my mother's joke has always been, so long as my clothes fit, I will wear them. You know, she bought, she's always been stylish. I took, she jokes and says, I took everything she taught me and turned it into a career, which is not a joke. It's actually true. And so she was always stylish. She was a model in her teens and in her early twenties. And and she has always paid very close attention to image. She taught us the power of image and she always took great care in how we were presented as a family when we were children. Now I don't want to wear that. Well, then you're not leaving this house. (laughs) Pretty sure a few of us have heard that line before. (laughs) But even now when I show pictures or people see my parents, they are um, they are dressed for today. It has nothing to do with age. Age is an attitude. Age is a lifestyle. Age is what you choose it to be. And and it doesn't mean that she's 60 dressing like she's 20. Right. Uh, That's not the goal. She's not dressing out of a teen magazine. She's dressing appropriately for who she is. And I think that is the key is, you know, once you get lost in the world of house coats or bathrobes, there is a spiral there. I agree. And so I a downward spiral. And I joke with her that, you know, even though she showers and puts on clean pajamas, her pajamas are very cute little sets that she could walk out. You know, she could just put on a pair of sneakers and walk outside and be perfectly acceptable anywhere. You know, it's not going to the opera or to the theater or out to a fancy dinner. But certainly in our daytime world, she lives in the world of athleisure and that's what her pajamas represent. So if they're clean, I'm good. Put on your sneakers, grab your walker. Let's take a walk here. I'll, I'll bring the dog. Let's go. So, uh, I have a question. Um, I have a question. I'm, I'm interested in your perception about this um, because, you know, we all come with a mindset from our experiences, right? And so I also grew up similarly and um, I make uh, fashion choices that, probably people of my age might not make. Um, but I think, uh, and you, you use the word like this leisure lifestyle we have, but my feeling about it is that it's almost gone too far in the other direction. Um, so I'm curious what you think about it. And the reason is because I think there comes um, a lack of to say respect or decorum for certain situations. For instance, I would never go into a temple or a church or any place like that unless I was dressed a certain way. I mean, I, I, it doesn't have to be dressed to the nines, but dressed a certain way. And yet I'll go and I'll see people in shorts and, you know, flip flops. And, and I just think it's an, a mental attitude that goes along with that in terms of respect for the situation, for the environment. And I've seen this in the theater. I've seen it many places. So I'm curious uh, what your take is on that. I I agree that people have lost. They've lost the message, maybe, of the power of dressing and how when I teach it, it's about how we dress out of respect for those we're going to meet in the course of our day. It doesn't mean we disrespect ourselves. It means that we find what works for us in the in the space of the world that we operate in. So for instance, my mother's very cute little leisure outfits are usually a little sweat jacket and a pair of, um, you know, a pair of uh, pants, but again, with a tank top underneath. And she would be appropriate going just about anywhere in the course of a day and be, and still being respectful. I think you're to your point of houses of worship and business, you know, it all kind of took a 
a bit of a downward turn with the introduction of uh, casual dress in the workplace back in the 90s. And, you know, that started as a reward for a day of volunteering. So um, it was actually United Healthcare Canada that started that. Mm, and in exchange, in exchange for your volunteer day, you could come to work on Friday dressed casually. Dressed down Friday, right? Dressed down Friday, right? Which ultimately became a huge joke where I used to use a cartoon that had, oops, I guess there was a typo in the memo because everybody was coming in in dressing gowns on Friday, <laughs> like nightgowns, because, oh, because dress down Friday became dress gown Friday. <laughs> One typo, you can send the whole world spiraling down. So we never really recovered from that. <laughs> and, and also because the corporations at the time didn't know how to manage it well. Everybody was afraid to, to make any statements that could be presented or interpreted as discriminatory. Right. In fact, if you just set a dress code and applied it to everyone, you would have been fine. But right. at the time, they they didn't jump on it and really understand it fast enough. And by that time, people had already adopted, as you said, new behaviors, new habits, and nobody really wanted to give those up. And from there, we have evolved to an even more casual society. And let's talk about work from home for two years right. and how even my current clients yell at me and say, well, everybody only sees me from the waist up. So I'm doing that newscaster thing that you joke about. I've got my shorts and my flip flops on, but I'm wearing a suit jacket and a, and a dress shirt up on top. And I said, oh, so when you get up to go get your water refilled, we get to see your boxer <laughs> shorts or your underwear or your hairy legs or whatever, right? right. Nobody really wants that. Right. And so a little bit of additional thought going into, yes, I'm that makes me feel comfortable. And yes, I feel like I'm actually observing the, the norms or the guidelines for business. But how does it really make me feel when I do get dressed for business? Because when I'm dressed for business, I know my body responds to, I mean, business. And, and not only that, it's not only your body, it's your mind, it's your whole comportment, it's your whole presentation. It really makes a huge difference. So, so your outside informs your inside. And correct. then inside, in return, informs your outside. And that is the spiral that I talk about in my book, because that is the actual spiral that matters, is what message are you giving yourself? And ultimately, how does that represent you in the world? How do you show up? So that that becomes the question back to where we started right away was how you show up tells the world how you see yourself, how you want to be received, and how you expect to be rewarded. And if all of that is wrapped up in what you wear and how you present yourself, it might be worth just a few extra minutes to think about it and do something that is going to reward you for the best instead of creating questions in the minds of the people who are meeting you, create a very clear message that says, I'm here, this is who I am, and let them take the rest of the message when you open your mouth. You just get to prove that you are who you are. They don't have to try to figure it out. I love that. I love that because um, as a speech person, when I um, went to school, my undergraduate training, it's something very similar to what you just said, only it's about speech patterns. So at that time, it's changed drastically. But at that time, I went to uh, Emerson College for undergraduate school, which started as a school of oratory by Ralph Waldo Emerson. And everybody had to learn what they called then general American speech, which was kind of the speech from like the Midwest sort of. Mm -hmm. And you had to master it by the time you graduated, which meant whatever regionalism you had, you had to lose it. Right. At least when in order to pass this class, you had to know how to say things according to general American speech. So uh, the, the basis of it was really to speak and not detract from the message. Right. 
So it's basically the same thing that you're saying about your clothes and how you present yourself. Let, let people not have to figure out who you are by what they're looking at. Eliminate, eliminate as much noise as you can. Correct. So that you can come shining through. That really is the intention. It's, you know, I have no agenda here for anyone except their greatest success. And if it's that simple, let's just do it. <laughs> I, I agree. Listen, Lauren, this has been absolutely fantastic. I love it. And, and um, I know a little bit of the backstory with your mother, but not as in depth as we talked about it here. So I'm so glad we were able to have that conversation because so much came out. Uh, that I think is is valuable for people who are listening, who may have an older person in their family, or they themselves might be older or have friends or colleagues uh, that, I mean, this is all such valuable information. So before we go, you mentioned a book. Do you want to tell people the name of the book or how to get in touch with you if they'd like more to, to know more about your programming or um, if they even want to work with you? So the best way to find me is my website. And thank you for asking. It's laurensolomon.com, L-A-U-R-E-N-S-O-L-O-M-O-N.com. And the book, which I don't often talk about, but I do have a copy here so I can show you, is called Image Matters. And oh, by the way, I did once have brown hair, very naturally, (laughs) (laughs) as we all do. And so the question, you know, the question is, how do you want to show up? How, who do you want to be? And, and how do you want to be in the rest of your life? So um, I'm happy to answer questions, you know, and through my website is the best way to reach me. The book is available through Amazon. If you're interested, Image Matters. And thank you so much. The conversation was fun and I really hope it was helpful. I do believe we learned from each other. And so thank you for giving me the opportunity to share that. Oh, I I appreciate it. And I agree with you 100%. So this is Phyllis Amon signing off for today. And please remember to like, click and share the episodes. Until next time, stay safe, stay well, and stay tuned. Thank you for listening to Senior Straight Talk. Join your host, Phyllis Amon, again soon for another episode on the Voice America Empowerment Channel or your favorite podcast platforms.